The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. Everybody who goes to the store, everybody who buys gas, they know that inflation is here. The voters were really not focused on pro or anti-Trump. They were focused on core issues that matter to them. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. I think the billionaire tax is good, but I think it's more of a messaging issue than a funding issue. Upgrading and maintenance of roads and bridges. Over 600,000 new jobs would be created. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Okay, so maybe no more four-day weekends. Is that what we're supposed to think? Look what happens when we go away for Turkey. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics. First time we get to chat since Omicron entered the lexicon. And as Washington recalibrates to this new reality, we'll walk you through the response today from the White House and discuss what it means politically. Of course, with Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis with us for the hour. And as President Biden meets as well with retail CEOs at the White House, he had a couple things cooking today. We will talk supply chains and whether the Grinch will steal Christmas with Claire Tassin joining us for Morning Consult later this hour will tell us who Americans blame based on their new research even more than the president. And there are two major deadlines looming at the end of this week on Capitol Hill because we needed more. Bloomberg government's Emily Wilkins back with us today to bring us the latest on government funding and the debt ceiling. Important headlines from Chair Powell. We'll get to those with our panel. President Biden back from the family trip to Nantucket for Thanksgiving back at the White House today. Address the nation from the White House on the new variant. Dr. Anthony Fauci at his side. We'll walk you through this. No major announcements, no big breakthroughs from the president. In fact, it was an opportunity to call for calm. This variant is a cause for concern, not a cause for panic. This after the president watched the markets fall out of bed on Friday or half day on Friday due to the first headlines about Omicron. Which is how we My say My team it. is already working with officials at Pfizer and Moderna and Johnson and Johnson to develop contingency plans for vaccines or boosters if needed. And I will also direct the FDA and the CDC to use the fastest process available without cutting any corners for safety to get such vaccines approved and on the market if needed. Okay, if needed. That's both Moderna and Pfizer, the president talking about there. And there, there is news 100 days, not bad. The CEO of Pfizer, Dr. Albert Borla, telling Bloomberg's David Weston today that if we do in fact need a new vaccine, it'll be ready by spring. If the virus escapes the protection of our vaccine after a booster dose, which will be very difficult, I think, but we need to check it. Uh, we have already last Friday started the process of developing a tailor-made vaccine that not only we have very high level of confidence that we will have it ready within 100 days. But we have very high level of confidence that we can manufacture it uh, by billions if needed. 
Okay, so 100 days. If we have to redo the whole thing or update the formula somehow. And he tells David today on Balance of Power that they will know within two to three weeks whether that new vaccine will be needed. Back to the White House. Dr. Fauci was called to the podium just for a moment today. You know, of all the times he's been called in front of the press, just one question only spoke for about 30 seconds, and it was maybe the most important 30 seconds of this event. Took a question about screening international travelers. The president called him over. His answer was very important, especially for the people who may not know exactly how this all works. Here's Dr. Fauci. Thank you, Mr. President. We already have in place when people come into the United States, they have to be tested before they get on and they have to show vaccination uh, uh, documentation. So even before Omnicorn came in, we have a situation where we'll be able to test. And talking about testing, for, fortunately for us, the PCRs that we mostly use would pick up this very unusual variant that has a real large constellation that of mutations. Fortunately for us, that the PCRs that we do do pick it up. Yep. So we know how to identify it. And worth remembering that people entering from out of the country must be fully vaccinated or they have to show a negative test result within a day of flying. I realize there are exceptions to the rule, but that's for most that's for most people from most countries. It is not perfect, but it's more than what a lot of people may know about based on a lot of the questions I was hearing over the weekend. So President Biden says he will update us on Thursday. That's when he rolls out a new plan to fight COVID this winter without, he says, without shutdowns or lockdowns. And that is where we start with our panel today. Bloomberg Politics contributor Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. It's great to have you both here. I want to talk with both of you about the way the administration has handled this so far and, and what it needs to do in the next couple of days as we gear up for the next stop, I guess, Thursday, according to the president, and how other pieces may be moving on the chessboard here in Washington because of this. Jeannie, the president addressed the nation in the midst of great uncertainty. Did he say enough to appear in control to, to gain people's confidence on this? He did what he could do. I mean, his options are at this point limited. So he I say nothing, right? He couldn't say nothing. He's got to be out there. He's got to be showing he's responsive. He understands that we are in a crisis. But the fact is beyond using the bully pulpit, and I thought his his major point today of be calm. There's no reason mm -hmm. to panic. We're not mm -hmm. going to have more restrictions and lockdown. That was all good. But the fact is, people are feeling very, very frustrated at this point. The president's options are limited. So the best he's going to do is go out there as much as possible and try to assure people that he and his administration are addressing this. And this is the same president who said, judge my presidency by how yeah. I handle the pandemic. That's, right. That's a huge challenge for him. Well, it sure is, Rick. And it's, you know, it's important to acknowledge sometimes what you don't know, as the president did today. I realize he could come back with a very different story, but it was an opportunity to talk about what had already been done. In the case of Fauci there is, look, you know, we've 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 it, often unpopular policies have been put in place to protect us from what might be next. Yeah. And unfortunately for him, those unpopular policies are starting to reflect in his uh, approval ratings. Uh, and I think that's partly why he got out as soon as he could on Monday uh, after this thing broke over the holidays and yeah. tried to be reassuring. Uh, but I also think, as, as Jeannie said, I mean, he did use the bully pulpit well to also try to get everybody to get jabbed, to have a vaccine. Um you know, he still lags behind his own goals uh, in getting the country fully vaccinated. And, and this is another example of why it's important. You know, with the vaccine, 
you, you have you have the ability to trap the virus that is before it mutates into something yeah. uh, like this, and it drives us all crazy to have to learn how to you know speak the Greek alphabet. Um, and uh, <laughs> the challenge is uh, pretty evident. Uh, Dr. Fauci sounded like he was even having trouble with it, but uh, they both. Uh, but I think I think the president is realizing that. Uh, he can't he can't let this go its course without being positioned politically uh, to tackle it. And I, I would imagine his Thursday announcement from the White House will be even more aggressive. Omicron. Right. We're going. It's it's a Greek letter. Omicron. It is not a Marvel villain that you somehow did not hear of. Let me ask you guys about the broader view here from Washington. These headlines that we just heard about Jay Powell at the Fed. He's going to be testifying uh, on Capitol Hill. And we got a peek at his testimony. Headlines are on the terminal that this variant adds to economic risks and inflation uncertainty. This is the backdrop for this administration right now, Jeannie. A headline it did not need. When we start talking about economic risks uh, due to Omicron, the president, tell me if I'm wrong, is without many tools to do anything. Either in the case of the pandemic, in the case of this new variant, and I'm going to leave it to you to say it, Joe, because you <laughs> say it beautifully, um, or in the case of inflation. And, and and that headline has got to be one that just sends, you know, shivers through everybody in the White House, because this is exactly what the president doesn't want. There's and a he's re- promised no shutdowns and no lockdowns. That's so are, right. So are we just there then, uh, Rick? I mean... This is life with COVID. There are going to be new variants. Guess what? Get a vaccine, wear a mask. Yeah, I think that uh, the reality is that it depends upon how virulent, talk about hard to say, uh, this virus is. (laughs) You know, is this virus a killer or is this just like a flu? And uh, and the jury's out. You know, uh, BioNTech reported that they'll take them two weeks to really understand the impact. So we've got some time to kill in this regard. But but what's vexing Powell and the administration is, you know, this labor market that has created all these disruptions in the supply chain, you know, people not going back to work. And this certainly isn't going to help. Uh, right. And the Fed is already trapped into this notion that, you know, they're staking out uh, transient inflation. And, and the question now is, are they going to start talking about inflation being something other than transient? Does this recalibrate the, the, the view on reconciliation, uh, Jeannie? We've got a couple of big headlines coming up we're going to talk to Emily Wilkins about next. Government funding, the debt ceiling, there seems to be a way beyond them, uh, at least for government funding. I don't think anybody's figured out the debt ceiling. And then, then the social spending agenda. Will spending $1.75 trillion seem like a bad idea after this or, or money that's even more needed when you speak with Democrats? I think to the person who matters the most, Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema as a second, I think it is going to seem like a bad idea. I really do not see how in this environment they push that through this year, at least before Christmas, with everything else on their plate. When I heard about this new variant, I thought immediately that that was like the death knell for Build Back Better, at least for the short term, wow. at least before Christmas. Because of the inflationary aspect or what part of it? Because of the inflationary aspect. How could Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema and even some other moderates, I have to say, sign off on that, given what somebody like Jay Powell is saying today and other people are saying? Rick just made a great point. This will yeah. keep people from going back to work, potentially. That's a huge problem for the White House that's been so focused on employment. Rick, does it does it gather any momentum for 
Republicans, Democrats put their heads together to deal with the debt ceiling then? Or or Dems still on their own? You know, I think the Dems are still on their own. I think that this is probably going to be uh, helpful to the Democrats when it comes to getting a continuing resolution to fund the government, right? Yep. And nobody mm-hmm. wants to really make that a big problem. Uh, it doesn't mean we're going to get a budget anytime soon, but uh, they'll kick that into uh, uh, 2022, uh, probably this week, uh, at least in the House. But but the fiscal cliff, uh, December 15th, is still a problem for the debt You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Headline on the terminal, Democrats eye mid to late January as next stopgap deadline. As you may remember, government funding runs out Friday, right, December 3rd, and it does look like lawmakers will kick the can once again. But that's only one deadline they are facing and we talk about it all now. Now that we're coming back from the Thanksgiving break with Bloomberg government's Emily Wilkins. Good to see you. Speaking of Thanksgiving, I hope you had a great one. Let's tick through these one at a time. We'll start with government funding. That runs out Friday. Not a huge shock to see lawmakers come up with another short-term plan. What do you see happening? Yeah, when when lawmakers said that they were going to extend the current stopgap measure till mm-hmm. December 3rd, basically everyone assumed that that would not be that the there'd last be another. <laughs> so how long would this go for? It looks like we're... We're looking at mid to late January. Is that going to be enough to make everybody happy? Yeah. I mean, look, the Democrats wanted a little bit of a shorter one. They wanted to wrap this up by the end of the year. But you are hearing Republicans come up and say, you know, know what, we need more time for this. Yeah. You know, a lot of oxygen in Congress has been spent on the social welfare and tax plan, as well as the infrastructure bill. And so now they really do need to to focus and to get some of these top line numbers, how much they want to spend for defense, how Mm -hmm. much they want to spend for domestic issues. I mean, all that stuff is still in the air at this point. And so, yeah, there is a a sense that they will need some more time, that they will need to go into next year to figure out exactly what a longer term funding is going to look like. So Democratic leaders are essentially buying time to deal with a whole bunch of other issues. Right. We also have the debt ceiling pegged to December 3rd, even though I realize the Treasury Department and others say that we won't bump into the ceiling on that actual day. This still needs to be dealt with. Is that going to be another short term solution or Democrats going to surprise us with what they haven't been willing to do all year and handle it on their own? So I think that there's a sense that the debt limit does really need to be dealt with this time, that they can't do Not another a short-term, short-term stopgap. Okay. And you saw that uh, Republican leader in the Senate, Mitch McConnell, and Democratic Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, they had yeah. a meeting about this before Thanksgiving. So what does that tell you? Is Mitch going to change his tune here? He's been pretty consistent about this. I mean, that, a lot of people were again, surprised he that, he, that he changed his tune last time. Exactly. But you know, McConnell's been very clear after that that you know it was a short gap, it was to buy Democrats time. And even then, you really kind of saw McConnell struggled to get the 10 Republicans on board to even do that short-term thing, a much longer-term thing. That seems out of the question, just from a simple are-the-votes-there perspective. And so, yeah, it does seem like Democrats are going to have to do reconciliation. You've you've started to see Democrats, you know, some of the leadership admit that, yeah, that's an option on the table. It's something we're looking at. Once again, the thing is that you can't just snap your fingers and get reconciliation done. You have these super long voteramas to do. You have an entire process to go through. And so that is going to take time. So even if we're looking at December 15th, that that date that Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen put out there, Mm -hmm. that is going to need to be a process that really gets started either this week or next week if they want to have it done by then. So what's the long game for Chuck Schumer on this when when they start dealing with debt ceiling again? They don't want to talk about this again in two months. 
Fields, right? Is that is that where this goes, or is it is there a chance that we have a deal that at least suspends the debt ceiling, say through the midterms? I mean, Democrats know that this is not really a great issue for them to talk about. Republicans know it, too, but Mm -hmm. it's currently a Democrat in the White House, so the ball Mm -hmm. is very much in their court. I mean, I know the last time that there was some discussion on this, we were talking about the end of 2022. Obviously, that means that it would still the ball would still be in Democrats court to raise the debt limit. I think at this point, it's kind of a, a question mark as far as exactly when they might raise the limit to what that looks like. Um, I think those are all things that are going to wind up being answered in the next week or so. As we spend time with Bloomberg government's Emily Wilkins on Sound On, the matter of defense spending is also in the air. Not so much a deadline, but they do need to get this done by the end of the year, right? Yes. And uh, Chuck Schumer, again, is saying that he wants to actually start wrapping things up this week, uh, take some procedural votes moving forward on it. Mm-hmm. Of course, there's a, a big question about you know whether that's possible. This is a huge bill, lots of issues within it, uh, including open up the draft to women, uh, including different types of, of spending and different spending levels. Uh, so a and the lot authorization of uh, use of force, right? Yes. That could be pretty big. Is that is that controversial or are those going away when this bill passes in whatever form it takes? I mean, you, you have seen uh, bipartisan efforts um, in the House in particular to get rid of some of these. There is a sense that, you know, the, the support that was there for them is no longer there quite as much. Yeah. And so you are seeing some bipartisan support for these measures. I, I think this is one of the things that you know we're just going to have to keep an eye on as this moves forward, whether or not some of these provisions wind up surviving or, or getting cut. You just wonder what kind of leverage that, that leaders might have in there, because this all winds up to the big one, and that's reconciliation, the big social spending plan that's essentially kept you employed for the last nine months. Not really, <laughs> but it's been the bulk of so many people's coverage in, in, in so many different forms and gyrations. So, okay, it's in the Senate now. Mm -hmm. It's going to come back, we know, with great changes, but when? That, that's the big question here. I mean, initially, the way that you think of it, just kind of in Congress in general, is that you want to get your legislative stuff done before you hit an election year. Sure. But we're already seeing here with the government funding that that's going to bleed into January. And so that absolutely could happen with the social welfare and tax plan. I mean, we still have to figure out drug pricing. We still have to figure out the state and local deductions. We still have to figure out um, paid family leave. These yeah. are all things that need to be decided on. And while the House was able to, to get it through, there are still huge questions with Senators Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema as far as what they're going to be allowing here to go through. This could easily go into next year. I mean, certainly something that the White House would like to see done before that time, but it's not something that has a deadline the way that government funding or the debt limit have a hard deadline. Bloomberg government's Emily Wilkins. Thanks for the insights. Let's do it again soon. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, Joe. So you dig into the numbers, as we have been, uh, from the latest morning consult poll conducted with Politico, and you see Some things you expect about the supply chain crunch. 62% of registered voters blame President Biden for the problem, supply chains. There are also some surprises in here, though. Like who Americans blame more? It's not always as obvious as you may think joining us to talk about it. Is Claire Tassin, retail and e-commerce analyst at Morning Consult. I guess I should say happy Cyber Monday to you, Claire. Happy Cyber Monday. It is a busy day in the retail world. Thanks for having me. Well, it sure is. I hope somebody's making money out here. As far as the American people are concerned, they're spending money, in many cases online, uh, and wondering if they're going to get their 
their orders in time for the holidays if it's you know going to be a bountiful holiday season. Never mind just the supplies uh, that we need on a day-to-day basis here. This new poll shows, as I mentioned, 62% blame Joe Biden for the supply crunch. But I was surprised to see Congress taking 61% for the blame. Arguably, the president and Congress have little to do with the immediate supply chain situation. But who got more blame? It was large corporations and China. What did you learn, Claire? So exactly that. We saw that ahead of President Biden, ahead of the U.S. Congress, voters were more likely to blame large corporations. So certainly the the companies that we are uh, clicking on our tracking indicators to see if those packages will arrive in time. Um, The government of China, given the manufacturing relationship, but even more so than any of those entities, voters were much more likely to blame the worker shortages. So 74%, excuse me, of voters told us that they blame the ongoing worker shortages and 79% blamed the COVID-19 pandemic as a whole. So sort of the ambient pandemic constraints that are leading to these supply crunches. I think that's fascinating. Instead of, you know, the path of least resistance, you go to the president, you go to the nearest person to blame. Now I realize to your point, in many cases, they're clicking on Amazon or Walmart and they say, oh, yeah, it's those large corporations. But to drill down to worker shortages and connect the dots to China, it seems to me that people are paying attention, that people are actually consuming news and understand what might be behind this a little bit more than you might assume. Absolutely. Um, We did some additional survey work on exactly that and found that 80% of American consumers were at least somewhat aware of the supply chain issues. Now, whether or not that was impacting their holiday shopping is a different story, but there's certainly a good understanding of not only how pervasive the issue is, but how intricate it is and how many sort of different components are leading to some of these uh, supply shortages and delays. And these are registered voters you pulled, nearly 2,000 of them, as opposed to likely voters, right? That's exactly right. So we, we try to connect the dots to the midterms here, and this being the political show, that's what we're known to do. And you did the same thing, to find that voters are looking for candidates who take this issue seriously. So you're, you're finding actual research to show that supply chains will directly impact people's voting decisions next year. It will. 52% of voters told us that a candidate's view on the supply chain issue and the delivery issues will be a major factor in their vote in the midterms. I guess all news is local, huh? It's all, This all comes down to the boxes sitting on your front step, but also uh, the connection to inflation. What did you learn about that, Claire? Higher prices. So certainly... Uh, certainly seeing that there's you know, that similar constraint with the connection to um, to price challenges for consumers. We're certainly feeling that, you know, consumers are feeling that at the pump, at the grocery store, and I, I have a sort of a similar sense of, of understanding that, that it's a really big problem to solve, but certainly want to see action from those in office to, to help them solve it. It's a day-to-day concern, both the package issues as well as the inflation issue. Claire, does one party uh, seem to be feeling the weight of this more than another? Democrats being in the majority, for instance, are you polling along party lines? We are, and we are seeing that split um, from 
uh, across voting lines as well, where we see that just 46% of Democratic voters are are leaning on their, or we'll say that a candidate's views on the supply chain will be that factor in their voting decision versus 63% of, Repu- of Republican voters are holding their candidates to account on these issues. So certainly seeing um, that that uh, disparity between Democrats and Republicans in the way that they're holding their elected officials accountable. Well, it's, I guess, no wonder, Claire, why we're hearing the president talk about this on, I won't say a daily basis, but pretty close. The references to inflation, certainly we had a big supply chain event today and we expect remarks mm-hmm. from him on Wednesday uh, and in Congress. It was certainly Republicans. This is the attack line against this administration that this president is responsible for runaway inflation, yet they are found in your research to carry part of the blame, right? Well, what I'm saying is that in our research that Republican voters are um, are placing that, uh, that's, that's, they're looking to their leadership Understood. to hold them accountable. So it's a sense of who the voters are and how that's influencing um, who they plan to vote for. In so the it would term. match with Republican uh, lawmakers' uh, internal voting. It's pretty fascinating. You're going to keep these numbers rolling mm-hmm. throughout the midterm cycle? We are, yes. Claire Tassin, retail and e-commerce analyst at Morning Consult. I feel like I should have asked what the gift of the year was. Thanks for being with us, Claire. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. We've had a shipping crunch at the holidays for the last several years, right? Starting with the early warnings from UPS and FedEx, followed by long wait times, people forced to pay premium for delivery, and then eventual disappointment when the gifts don't show up. It was never a political issue, though, like this year, as the supply chain problems are blamed on everyone from President Biden to Congress. We were just discussing it with the analyst Claire Tassin from Morning Consult. Blaming as well companies, the major corporations, and China. Let's see what the panel thinks. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis back with us here. Rick, how much of a risk will this be from apparently a fairly well-informed electorate for President Biden and Democrats going into the midterms? Well, I think the the positive, if there is one, is that in the monks in the midst of this blame game, they're blaming everybody, right? They're blaming <laughs> companies, they're blaming China, they're blaming Biden, they're blaming Congress. You know, there's a Republican piece to this blame in there somewhere. You know, Congress is usually a mix of blaming Republicans and Democrats all right, at the same course, time. Yeah. Uh, it does indicate a very pissed off voter population and. Mm-hmm. Entering into a election like this, if people think the country's on the wrong track and are upset, it's usually really bad news for the party in power. What do you think about that, Jeannie? Eighty percent nearly blamed the covid pandemic. But Joe Biden is still right there at uh, what was it? Sixty two percent. Congress is close behind. Are these the kind of decisions, the kind of things people consider when they're going into the voting booth. And they think about, of course, high prices, but also not being able to get their stuff. 
It is. You know, obviously, the midterm is still a long ways away. We have a long way to go. So that, you know, there is time to a certain extent on the Democrat side. And as Rick pointed out, there is some, you know, a glimmer of good news is that they are blaming a lot of people. But the reality is, even if this wasn't an issue, the Democrats have a very difficult challenge on their hands when it comes to the midterm. I mean, you just look at the redistricting issue alone and they are likely to lose one or both of, of the houses in Congress. So that coupled with all of the sort of frustration that people are rightly feeling, they are probably going to be looking to turn over certain members of Congress, and that's going to work to the Democrats' disadvantage. Is there something to being caught in the act here, though, Rick, uh, in terms of President Biden's own approval ratings, the way people see him handling this? Does talking about it more, as he has been doing, help? And if you see some improvement here, he was just talking today about, I believe, a great improvement in the number of uh, containers that are moving through ports. You can take the win at some point before the midterms, right? Yeah, you. I mean, he's got some wind at his back, right? I mean, it does look like uh, uh, materials are starting to move through the ports. Port of Long Beach and others have lesser and lesser delays. Yeah. Um, and, the, and the impact of the uh, trillion-plus infrastructure bill about putting people back to work will start to, you know, be more material than it is today by, you know, the the next election. So he's got some tools to work with, um, but it's pretty clear that the American public has figured out that 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 supply chain is just another metaphor for jobs, yeah, and that right. the fact is four million people are still unemployed or underemployed to where it was before COVID, and and the patience for COVID is running out. The president had to spend time today on it because of the Omicron uh, virus now. And, and, and I think that, that all these things conspire to be a very difficult challenge, but one that he'll have a message to declare. I mean, what are Republicans going to say about putting people back to work other than the fact that before COVID, they had full employment? That's right. So if it's a job story here, then, Jeannie, uh, Thursday's announcement is going to be huge if, if the president is going to come back again. And he's done this a couple times now to roll out the plan to fight COVID, uh, albeit it's specific to this winter. It's specific to a new variant. Uh, but he's got to talk about getting people back to work and they actually have to come back this time. They do. And and I worry a bit about the hype surrounding, you know, what he was supposed to say today got pushed off. And now, now we're going to, you know, hear something on Thursday. I worry a bit about it because, you know, it wasn't that long ago, July 4th, around that time when the White yeah. House was celebrating. And then they got yeah, independence from the pandemic. And then, you know, they, they didn't see Delta coming. And now, of course, they've got another variant. And, you know, the irony, if you look at how most economists say the president's hands are pretty much tied when it comes to inflation. The irony of the entire thing is that what's ultimately going to end inflation or high inflation in this country is exactly what started it. And that's the pandemic. So I I can't imagine how frustrated the president had to be on Nantucket this weekend to learn about this new variant, because it really does underscore how important it is for him to address the pandemic so we can find his way out out of this inflation challenge that he's facing. And it is a very real challenge, as many people have said, you know, everybody, all of us, you know, are impacted by inflation in a way not all of us are impacted by unemployment. So the pain is widespread on inflation and the political damage is that difficult for the president to sort of heal from. 
Well, it certainly puts tomorrow's testimony uh, in a new light. Powell, Yellen, as I mentioned, will both be delivering remarks on Capitol Hill. They're actually set to talk about the CARES Act, but you know how these things go. Lawmakers will ask about the news of the day. Uh, and they're going to be asked about this variant. And if you hit if you hit the terminal, you'll see a little bit of a taste of what they're going to say, as they often will release prepared remarks the night before. That's the case here. Omicron adds to economic risks, inflation, uncertainty, says Powell. And what we saw from Yellen uh, was even more concerning, as I read to you earlier this hour, that it could eviscerate uh, the recovery here. This new variant could eviscerate our COVID recovery, Rick. This is going to this is going to draw even more attention uh, to the testimony tomorrow on a day that President Biden is traveling to promote his uh, social spending agenda. This is going to be the hard news. How important are these words going to play against what the president says later this week? Oh, I think I think there are, the potential for conflict is great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you had a Fed that was talking mostly about, you know, just a month ago, transient inflation and tapering programs, right? And the economy yeah, is right. coming back and employment is starting to, re- you know, resurface. We had a good jobs report in October. And now we're a day away from a jobs report in November that, that may or may not be to their liking. And it's pretty clear that the the twin um, uh, reports that are coming out of the financial sector of the Biden administration right now are pretty gloom and doom. And, and, and yet the Fed itself doesn't have that many tools now to work with. They've, they've, they've done as about as much as they can to try and pump the economy uh, and, and may have actually overstimulated it to the point where we can't deliver it because of the supply chain problems, right? right? Yeah. You've, got, you've got all these retailers and suppliers who have enormous demand because people have got all this money washing around in their bank accounts from the federal government and they can't get materials to sell. I mean, that's a it's a unique problem that we haven't seen in the 21st century. And, and, and I think that this is probably creating a lot of confusion inside the policy councils of the White House right now as to what to do with it. Because they've got whatever they stake out today is probably got to be their position through the year next year into the elections. And, and three seats yet to fill here uh, for President Biden. Uh, I want to straighten out what I was saying to be clear. Uh, Janet Yellen spoke to both issues. Number one, as I mentioned, COVID, the new variant, said the recovery cannot be separated from it. Progress against COVID. The eviscerate line, Jeannie, was about the debt limit. Failure to address the debt limit will eviscerate the recovery. I want to be clear about that because this testimony will be used as leverage to get something done on that. Uh, They could be, gosh, as soon as this week. The Treasury tells us that we might not potentially default uh, for longer. I think it was December 15th they were looking for. But December 3rd is technically when that debt limit is up. Will Democrats make it happen or are they going to try to force the hand of Republicans again? You know, Mitch McConnell has, again, been very clear uh, in his last set of remarks on this, that Republicans will not help Democrats lift the debt ceiling and that Democrats have the 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 numbers. They could do it. And so I do think that Democrats have to get this and put it behind them at this point. You know, for Janet Yellen, and it's such an important point to be coming out and using words like eviscerate our recovery if the debt ceiling is not addressed, Hmm. how can Democrats? Democrats sit and watch that happen in some form of like, you know, who's going to blink first with the Republicans. So I do hope that they get this done because they have a lot of other things to address. What do you make make of Mitch McConnell sitting down with Chuck Schumer to to meet on this, though, Rick Davis? Could 
Could there be a way that Mitch McConnell helps this get done without actually having his fingerprints all over it to the to the point that Emily Wilkins was making earlier, at least agree to maybe tamp down some of the festivities in a votorama or, or help to grease the skids in another legislative way? Well, as a surprise to many Republicans, Mitch McConnell did just that, Joe, earlier this year and allowed the vote to take place that That's right. extended the debt limit into uh, December. And so I guess it's not a uh, unforeseen circumstance that he would be willing to do it again. There, there's no interest on the part of Republicans to to uh, eviscerate the recovery, as Janet Yellen put it. Sure. But when she says that, she's talking about the Democrats in her own caucus. I mean, like this is the the talking points are crazy, right? I mean, like the Democrats control the House, the Senate, and the White House. Right. And her complaint is that they are about to eviscerate this recovery by not. And she's been ringing this bell for months. Limit. Rick. Right. And so, like, who's she talking to? Is she talking to Schumer? Is she talking to Pelosi? They have the ability within their power to do this tomorrow. And for whatever reason, they're playing politics with it. Rick Davis, Jeannie Shanzano, get us off and running for the week. Like I said, maybe no more four-day weekends. I can't fit all this in one hour. Thanks for being with us. To Emily as well and to Claire for the view uh, from retail on this Cyber Monday. Stay with us. We'll check traffic in just a moment. Meet you back here tomorrow on the Fastest Hour in Politics. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.